Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. It says Philippians chapter 2. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us this morning. Uh, we believe you. We know, Holy Spirit, that you're with us and you're in us, that you're our teacher, that you lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, I yield my... Uh, gifting that you've placed within me to you. I ask that you fill my mouth uh, with the correct words, speaking the truth in love, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Philippians 2, verse number uh, 14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked um, and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. Now, I find this interesting because uh, the reason why you're not supposed to complain is because it's part of your witness. <laughs> you're supposed to shine as lights. So like even at work and stuff like that, or in the, whether it's in the church, doesn't make any difference. Uh, in your own, your own I, I've watched this happen and have experienced it firsthand uh, as a participant <laughs> in my own life and family. Families can do it. Uh, you'll watch this with clicks. You'll watch this with clicks in churches. You'll watch this, you know, I only youth pastored for six years, so, you know. When, when groups of teenagers are around each other, you know, everybody loves everybody, but when the clicks get together after and every, nobody else is around, then you start picking apart all the things you don't like about the other people that you're around. That's complaining and disputing. It's sin. And actually, what people don't realize is, and I didn't realize it at the time, and I'm not just talking to, I mean, I'm talking to me too here. This happens with pastors. Pastors get together and talk about all the problems in their church and the people they wish would believe, they wish that would be led to go to another church. (laughs) (coughs) So, um, it happens, I mean... uh, one of the things that, that we need to realize is, is that, so for me, this is something the Lord keeps bringing this back to, we can be effective in ministry and actually not receive ourselves. So if you read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you'll see that all of that is actually personal. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I become Bang, 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 clanging cymbal, just rattling noise. If I give all I have to be to the poor, and watch, give my body to be burned, but if I don't do, if I don't walk in love, it profits me nil. I don't know about you, but I'm believing for the full harvest. That's what I want. I want a hundredfold. That's what that means. It means complete harvest. Okay, sometimes people put, you know, they try and do math with it. But what it actually means is completeness. Your whole life in every area, not just finances, every area is complete. That's what we're after. And so if I walk in love, I can get that. If I don't, I can't. I won't. But yet, and this is, we talked about this before, my gift will work for you no matter what. 
So it's the same principle. So you just roll that, keep rolling that downhill. You know what I mean by that? In other words, it applies to me, but it applies to a husband, a wife. It applies to the kids. It applies to, you know, if you're a boss. It applies if you're an employee. It applies all the way around, right? And so um, not complaining and all that stuff, it's a part of our witness, yes. I mean, we're shining as lights into the world about Christ, um, but then it also has a personal effect on the inside and with your own personal life. So um, it will do me no good to be bitter over all the things that I didn't like where I was a youth pastor at. Amen? Or it will do me no good to hold bitterness against the girl in junior high who severely embarrassed me in health class. Which happened. <laughs> I'm almost over it. No. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I can tell you, for years, I hated that girl. Even after I was saved. I mean, I, I wouldn't have mind just if nobody was around. Get the small bat, you know? Because she was brutal, cruel. I mean, just mean. And people say, oh, you know, people should not do that. Just yield to your flesh. You'll murder somebody. I'm talking about you, not me. You know I would. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I was not saved, I mean, the potential for prison for me is off the charts. <laughs> you know? Um, but the grace of God holds us, and she did. She, she embarrassed for years. I remember I saw her at an event after I got saved. And during the worship, and it was actually a Christian event. I'm like, I actually thought to myself, how could she even get through the door? Why didn't God kill her by now? <laughs> you know? And, uh, but during that worship time, the Lord said to me, you need to forgive her. And I was, I mean, just saved, 19 years old. It was with Pastor Dwight. We did an event at Rocky Mountain College. And it was some sort of, uh, like, Maybe it was from see you at the pole and then see you at the party afterwards that we used to do, yeah. And, uh, and she was there, and, the, and I forgave her, and that was the end of it, you know. So <clears throat> my point in that is this, is that we have to make sure we keep things. Love believes the best. That doesn't mean you don't see an issue. It just means you don't turn that issue into what motivates your life, and your character. Because your character and your life is motivated from love. People say, well, I can't trust that person. Maybe not, but you can love them. And people say, well, if you love, then you trust. That is not true. Trust is earned. Love is given. Amen? Now, I can prove that scripture. I don't have time. But what, what happens is when we get into complaining and disputing and all those things, it short-circuits so much of the resurrection life that is within us. And it affects us physically, it affects us mentally, it affects us in all levels. Now, listen, that doesn't mean if you've done those things, and everybody's done some of those things, that doesn't mean you need to go to every person you did that to and start talking to them about it. Don't do it, because they won't be able to handle it anyway. They'll just go, you really thought that of me? They don't know. So just deal with it in your life, amen? Okay, because sometimes that happens. People are like, so much conviction. They're like, I've been, walk up to somebody that doesn't even have a clue. They think you love them. 
and go, I've hated you for years. And they're like, oh, they're devastated, you know. Now you got two issues you got to deal with. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you let it, you let it go. You let it, you know what I mean? And if, if, uh, and deal with it in your own life, in your own prayer time. If uh, through the years, what I've found with me is um, the more the Lord helps me grow and understand uh, me and the changes and the repentances that need to take place, the more I realize some of my major issues were mine, not the other person. <laughs> it's just like severely disappointing. <laughs> It's like, Lord, but you know, he said, just leave the wrath up to me and I'll take care of what I need to take care of. And part of me is like, no, Lord, you're too slow and you're way too nice. Yeah, I know. It doesn't say vengeance is mine, says Sean. It says, says the Lord, right? So we see here that it's a part of our witness and our witness needs to be opposite of the world's. And the world's is we live in a perverse generation. It is perverse. And it's not going to change. I had somebody ask the other day in prayer. They said, uh, you know, sh they made a statement about uh, people speaking against me. And she said, you know, how do we pray against that? You can't. You can't. She said, well, what do we do? I said, we do what Brother Hagin told us. We've been criticized by experts. These little spurts don't bother us a bit. In other words, just walk in love. Well, Sean, you don't know what they're saying. I don't care what they're saying. Now, if it's legitimate in the sense of, like, I need to change in an area, well, God will deal with me. I mean, and there are people in my life that deal with me. You know what I mean? But if, if people are saying, they can say what they want. What difference does it make? I, can't, I don't have time, like Mike says, I don't have time to throw rocks at every barking dog. That's a scriptural principle, just so you know. I don't have time. I don't, I don't care. You know, and people say, oh, you don't love them. No, I love them, and that's why I don't care. I won't take care on it. If you're doing anything, you're going to have somebody hate you. If everybody likes you, there might be a problem. Jesus never had anybody speak against him. If we're doing this right, they actually get to the point where some want to kill us. Right? Well, that's not part of revival. It's exactly a part of revival. Amen. Why do you think we have Psalms 91? If there's nothing to try and kill us, what's the point of having Psalms 91? You know, sometimes we don't think about this because we don't think about the other side of it. You say, what are you saying? This is, these are the things that I'm praying about because we we're praying and, and, uh, and believing God for a move and revival and we're going to see miraculous, spectacular signs and wonders happen. But guess who gets to be the face? You ever notice that all the followers of Jesse Duplantis don't have blogs about him? It's just him or Kenneth Copeland or Kenneth Hay. I don't care. Name, name it. Ravi Zachariah. I don't care who. Name it. Isn't. So you say, what are you saying? I have to get over my, the insecurities that have been developed in me over the years because of just being in the earth. And so do you. Now, on your level, it's in you too. 
Whether it be like Oral Roberts used to teach this, the gold, the girls, and the glory. Because the the more you are known, or the more the further you go in the call of God for you, what if your business gets to the point where you're known by everybody in the city? Now, some of you are going, that'll never happen to me. And it, this doesn't even register on you, but it can register in a, in a lighter sense, in, in a less you know, known sense. What if you, what if it gets, then what are you going to do? Then, because you have to deal with all these different things that take place in the sense of responding spiritually from a mature place to every situation that comes. Because the situations that come, so it's just like, okay, let's just say for ushering, if you're an usher. So uh, I don't know how many, we, we were pretty full last week as far as people attending. What happens when it's twice that many people? What happens when it's three times that many people? What happens when it's four times that many people? (laughs) I mean, it's exciting, but sometimes people don't think about the backside of it, which is all the work. Because ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. That's how it's spelled. That was, sorry, those of you who didn't go to Ramah, we heard that constantly. Because that's what it is. So you, you, we have to rely and develop spiritually how easy we could yield to the flesh and get into complaining and disputing and it's not fair. And come on, how many know that's the nature of your flesh? It's not fair. What? It's not the selfish ambitions. Well, I got to take care of mine. And there is a truth there. But the Lord said, if you take care of his, he'll take care of yours. Amen? I think sometimes, I know in my own life as I've gone along in this, I've seen that, um, that I, the Lord is not really the Lord in areas of my life. You, you, you know, because you walk in as much as you know, but there's a whole lot I don't know. And then when we get up to these things in your life, how many have noticed this, that for every significant breakthrough, there's a significant challenge? Whether that be in personal development of the character of Christ or in, a, in an external sense, whether it be family, business, whatever, okay, ministry, whatever. For every significant breakthrough, you have a significant giant to face. Now, yes, in comparison to God, the giant is nothing. But you have to get that transformation working in your mind. And everybody in the room is in a different place in that in their personal life. God's dealing with some of you about things that he's not dealing with me about because I may be strong in that area and vice versa. Okay? And so we have to be careful that we don't, uh, you know, that we... Are, are aware of that we keep ourselves out of complaining and disputing. And I'm not going to think that way about that person. I'll say that out loud when I'm by myself. It's weird if you do it around people in a big crowd. Like, what? What's wrong with that guy? <laughs> Same thing that's wrong with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? In other words, we're dealing with thoughts, right? How many have ever had an onslaught of thoughts? <laughs> right? An onslaught of thoughts. 
the enemy's good at it. And the, the, the further you go with the Lord, he gets more aggressive. But the victories are greater. And here's the thing. External or attack of the enemy, it helps you. Now listen to this, because I want you to hear this. I'm not saying God authored the attack. But it helps you depend on grace. And you actually grow more in grace. You get opportunity. And I'm not believing for opposition. It just, you know, whether I believe for it or not, there it is. Because <laughs> we're in the earth, right? But when you, the more grace you have, this is what we're seeing in Paul in Philippians. In the middle of terrible situations, what did Paul declare? He declared his faith and he lived from his grace that God had given him. Continually. He did not stop developing because of pressures. And he did not stop the ministry because of pressures. Neither, and neither will we. Well, there's pressure. We gotta, you know, we gotta do this. We gotta. No, no. We don't conform. We transform. And so, external things are not gonna stop us. Well, it's difficult. Uh huh. It takes God to get me through. That's why I think I said it last week, but uh, maybe I said it on Wednesday night. Don't, don't look for, I mean, you're looking for the peace of God, but what sometimes people think in that, they think, oh, nothing's going on. I don't have anything to deal with at all. Don't even bother with that thought. The day that you come, you know, people are like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard, then I'm going to retire, then I'll be able to sit next to the river and just nobody will bother me. You'll be there. I'm going to move to Hawaii. Nobody will find me out there. Yeah, but if you're not satisfied, you'll be there. And you'll bother you. How many have experienced that? Uh, okay. So, we don't complain and we don't have to in anything or dispute. We can forgive like Jesus forgives and we can move on. He says this, we shine as lights in the world as we, verse 16, hold fast the word of life. We have to hold it. Have you ever noticed that healing is not contagious, but sickness is? Because you live in a fallen world. In heaven, sickness is nowhere to be found. Healing's totally contagious. It's the atmosphere. You have to lay hold of the word of life. If I have to lay hold of it, that requires action on my part. That requires something of discipline, of, of structure, of I have fight in me to do this. So I'm going to lay hold of staying away from complaining and disputing so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run or in vain or labored in vain. Paul was concerned about his labor not being in vain. So what we have here is we have a, a, a directive from the Lord not to complain. And then we looked at 1 Corinthians 10, and we can go there. Um, and it we talked about the fact that uh, the Egyptians and the things that happened in the Old Testament were written down as examples to us. And I want to read um, something, a commentary. And you can go to 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's verse 12, 11 or 12. Um, and I'm actually going to go to 2 Peter 3. Because I want to I show you something, this in more than, than one place, uh, concerning this warning. Because sometimes, you know, people, people have said uh, to me, and in this day, that, um, that God doesn't 
deal with people anymore, that he doesn't judge people anymore. And uh, it's actually part of the, the grace, some of the grace teaching. So basically, this is what I've found out. God will emphasize a particular subject in the word, okay? And he'll, he'll, he'll move on his uh, ministers, especially the ones that are uh, more well-known, to, to really push that, that message um, and to get that truth across. And every single time, you can mark this down because it's going to happen again. Because we, as humans, we have this potential. We have the, 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 the uh, uh, we just tend to do it. It gets pushed too far. And it becomes the thing. Okay? And it becomes the, you know, like, uh, uh, um, whether it be, I mean, I heard, because I've been around the divine healing message, I've been around prosperity message, faith, you know, all of these things. And they're all, they all have principles of truth from the word. The grace message, the, you know, all these things, they all have principles of truth from the word. But if you only focus on, that's why our Bible reading program every year is so important. How many have done this? You're reading through the scriptures and you, you're convinced you're right in an area on a subject and you're reading through and you go, you read something that almost contradicts it. And you go, what? And the Lord does that on purpose. Because the word of God is like a mountain, depending on where you're standing. And the advantage point that you're looking at it from, it can look different. If you're at the top of the mountain looking down, it looks a little different. If you're in the middle of the trees looking up, you can't even see the top of the mountain. And it feels like there's only trees on the mountain. If you're at the base of the mountain or a ways away, you can see it, you see it differently. So the word of God is that way, and God does it intentionally so that we have a cohesion and a balance in our lives concerning what we believe and the way we live. And so that's why we go over different subjects, especially subjects we don't, our flesh doesn't want to hear. Disciples live in such a way where they abandon their fleshly desires. And they let the Spirit lead every decision that they make. Amen. And people think, well, that's going to kill us. I'm glad you figured that out. But if you die, who lives? Christ in me. See, people have this wrong concept. Well, if I do that, I won't get mine. That is a fleshly, selfish concept. If you do it, and you do it from a right heart, God will get you yours. And how many know God knows how to give a gift you cannot get for yourself? You don't have the ability. I don't have the ability. But that takes a shift in thinking. And leaders, disciples, true disciples of the Lord, they, they understand. This is why it's the minority, not the majority. This is why Paul would write over and over again, so-and-so abandoned me. I mean, Paul wasn't even nice about it. He put it in a letter that stayed. It's, we're reading it today. Him and Brother Hagin must have saw things differently. Brother Hagin wouldn't even name the person. Paul's like, I'm putting him in the Bible. <laughs> I find it funny. All right, so 2 Peter 3, verse 1 through 7 says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, 
knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and Uh, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. I love those words in there. What do they do? They willfully forget. How do you willfully forget? You choose to forget. I was, when, you read, when I read that, I'm like, Lord. He said people do it all the time. I don't want to think about that. No, I, I'm not going to think about that. There, how many know there are things you should make yourself remember? Okay? So, he says they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of water and in the, in the water, by which the world that then existed perished what? Perish being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which now, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, why was the flood recorded as a warning to me, which I will not willfully forget? Now, I believe there's an answer here that actually unravels evolution and the very thought of it, and it's all tied into the flood and what took place. Now, I'm not going to go that direction, but if you like to study those things, it's right there. In other words, I'll put it to you like this. The flood gives an answer, a greater answer, than uh, the whole evolution theory on what, is take, what has taken place in the planet, scientifically. A greater answer. So what we see here, and what we see in 1 Corinthians 10 is this. And this is what this commentary uh, states. This is Ironside's commentary. But it says, Many have forgotten that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, whereby the world that was then was being overflowed with water perished. The men who lived in those times said unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. That's Job 21, 14. As Eliphaz reminded Job when he said, Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden? In other words, do you pay attention to what happened to the wicked men? Right? Which were cut down out of time. They were what? They were cut down out of time. Why write this to the church? It's a warning. Well, I don't, I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about God's love. This is God's love. Man, I get that, that argument, this idea that God is a merciful, loving God who just lets evil go and doesn't judge it. How is that merciful and loving? Would you do that for your, in your family? You're just going to let your kid do whatever they want because you love them. That is not love. You actually hate your child, according to Proverbs. Our culture is so, I mean, they're perverse. They'll sit back and get upset about a disease that they got from a lifestyle of homosexuality and get angry at God when he said, don't do that because it'll hurt you. And watch, it's the culture of no responsibility. Well, you made me this way, God. That's even more blasphemous. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It is a, in fact, I've heard Keith Moore say this, and I'll share it, but I've never, I don't have the revelation, I guess, that he does on this, but I do, I do agree with the statement. He said it's actually a slap in the face of God to look up at him and say, don't you love me? Because he proved it in Jesus. Now, if you know, then you know. Well, there's, there's all these things going on, and, and if God wanted to, God already took care of the enemy. You have to engage in the battle. And if you'd have been at men's breakfast, you'd know that. Because <laughs> Mike put it to us. <laughs> it was good. You've got to get into the fight, man or woman, and go, no, I'm not thinking that way. A teenager, child, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to think like that. I'm moving this direction. I'm a disciple of the Lord. I have the armor on. I got my shield up and my sword out, and I'm moving this direction. But it's not fair. It's not fair will exist until Jesus comes back. I'm not going to think about it. It's not fair. That mentality in a believer is actually, it's, there's, you have, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. Right? So we have to look back and look at these things. We look at this, the exodus. We look at numbers. We look at what they did. What did complaining get them? So why do I want to repeat it? Why do I want to live that way, right? So he goes on to say, uh, in this commentary, he says, which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood. In other words, this is what the demonic do. This is what those who reject God do. They, they mock, they say, oh, build the ark, build the ark, Noah. Oh, yeah, it's never rained. It's not going to rain. It's been 75 years, Noah. Keep getting your wood together. Keep getting the gopher wood. You know, and I'm sure there were lawsuits, you know, in the courts, you know. Uh, Noah bought all that land and he's destroying the planet by chopping down all the gopher wood trees. And people think, well, you know, that probably wasn't then. Nothing has changed. It's exactly the same. It's never flooded before. What's a flood, Noah? What's a rain? What's rain? How would you like it if God told you to build an ark because it was going to rain and you'd never even heard of rain? Where's your faith? <laughs> right? So he builds the ark. And then... The animals start showing up. Now, come on. What more of a sign do you need? You've got a gigantic boat that you've never seen before. Nobody's ever built anything like that before. And then the animals start showing up, and you're still mocking? And then the door shuts, and it starts raining, and what do they do? Let us in. Too late. And people say, and there are people, and they are... They are rebellious, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people, just like Stephen said, that will, as, as the doors shut and they're knocking, they'll look, they'll look at the situation in the Bible and they'll go, well, if God was merciful, he'd open the door. Oh, devil. You know what I mean? But is he merciful? How many years do you need? Do I need? A hundred seems like a long time. And they were living how long during that time? 
Every generation has had grace extended to them. Every dispensation has had grace extended to them. And every person in those dispensations who exercised their faith toward that grace were redeemed. Everyone. They were saved. They, may, they couldn't have been born again because that only happened since Jesus. But they were saved. They were redeemed. They went to Abraham's bosom. And then when Jesus did what he did, he presented himself to them. And they went, yep, there it is right there. I saw it way back in Noah's day or way back in, do you see what I'm saying? And then <clears throat> he took them on to heaven. Amen? You know, if I was under the old covenant, I'd pick paradise over hell any day. It ain't heaven yet, but you know, in eternity, time's not that long anyway, so they're probably there like 45 minutes, and then they were like, well, let's go. Because <laughs> a day is as a thousand years. All right, so he goes on to say this. He said, uh, so the flood came, and then, which said unto God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. So it will be with many in this age. They are willingly ignorant of God's dealings with men in the past and therefore refuse to believe in any predictions of judgments to come. That's what we read in, in 2 Peter. There, you, you can be willingly ignorant of what God is saying to you and there is a consequence and we need to be careful with the whole, if, if it comes from a despising heart or a frustration when we go to God and go, well, God, why did you? We need to be careful about that. Rather, it should be, Lord, okay, so where, how did I screw this up? <laughs> you know, because I know you didn't miss your part, so where am I missing out on my part? Because I know your grace is sufficient, so that's not the issue. It's not an issue of whether you have enough muscle to handle this situation. It's an issue of where am I at in the decisions that I've made, and have I adjusted myself to you, taken the proper time to listen to you, and then in obedience and submission to you, obey what you tell me. I will just say this. God is not required to empower my, my opinions. God is not required to empower my decisions, my uh, um, ideas on what I think should happen. God only is bound to His covenant. And there's a general covenant and there's a specific covenant. Okay? So, in order for me to be empowered and do and fulfill what I'm called to do and walk out what I'm supposed to walk out, I have to find out what He wants me to do. And that's where the grace flows. Have you ever watched somebody, and it's not that they don't have challenges, but man, they seem to overcome and overcome and overcome because they're in what God asked them to do. So in other words, I could sit back and go, okay, I came up with a plan, Lord, this is what I want to do. The Lord could say, I want you to build an ark because there's rain coming and it's going to flood. And you could say, I don't believe in floods. Lord, I love you. I'm going to build a race car. Okay, or I'm going to, and I really love the Lord, I really love the Lord, I love him, and it just feels like nothing works, and nothing works, and nothing works, and nothing works. What did God tell me to do? If I put my hand to something he did not tell me to do, there is no power in it. And I can fast and pray and get really, really skinny, 
And people can look at me and go, you look gaunt. Yeah, I'm trying to get God to answer me. And God's going, your answer's right here. <laughs> right? Because I have to be led. I have to hear from him. And that's what they didn't do. And that's what many will not do. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10 says this. Now, all these things to them were written or happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, don't, don't read that and go, oh, God, God had those people be evil so that, no, 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 no. God doesn't have to have us be evil. People will choose it, and he can just go, okay, this will be a good example for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 1,000 years from now. Write it in the book. This is what happens when you rebel. You open your life to the destroyer. This is what happens when you complain. You miss the fulfillment of all the promises of God in your life. You miss the hundredfold. Amen? So, Paul says these were written as examples or admonitions, which are warnings. And then we saw in verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, I've heard people kind of speak despairingly about this verse because they're real confident in what they're you know, doing and saying. But I don't think any scripture should really be taken too lightly. Because it doesn't matter your level of maturity in Christ. Without Christ, every person has the potential to fall. I mean, I've proven it repeatedly. <laughs> On the same thing. Not like something new. Just the same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? How many have done that before? It's like, I just repented about this about three minutes ago. You thought I was going to say three days. <laughs> so you see all the soffits are gone off the lights on the sides. <laughs> People walk in, they don't even notice. Like huge portions of sections of things were ripped off the wall, but people walk in. They <laughs> just don't even see. That's how, that's how we are in this life, you know what I mean? So I, I removed all these because we're getting new soffits built and new lighting put in this next week. And so, as I'm removing them, what do I get to do? Not get mad at the soffits. And I almost did it perfectly. <laughs> I heard one preacher say, somebody had ripped him off financially. He said, I was almost to the point of cussing. I was not close to that. And taking out the soffits. And people say, well, God would forgive you. Yeah, but he'll also empower me not to do it. So let's not just focus on one side of grace, shall we? Immature people stay away from having to develop. Because why? It's easier on your flesh. You're just yielding to your flesh. That's all it is. Well, it makes me uncomfortable. Uh-huh. It doesn't make you uncomfortable. It makes your flesh uncomfortable. And now you know how much you're aware of your flesh. Or me, I'm aware of my flesh, right? So I'm taking these things off, and I got frustrated probably because I started on this end and then went this way. And so the first two and three is, you know, because it's your learn. I didn't put them up, so I don't know how to take them down. So I'm learning the process. Plus, Josh, he decided to put so many cords up there. <laughs> I, got him, I got him laughing back there. <laughs> See? This is how immaturity remains in my life. If I'm going, Josh, put the, well, Josh, put him up there because I asked him to. That's how dumb my flesh is. Right? I mean, flesh is stupid. 
I want you to do this. And I want it done this way and that. And then they do it and then you have to go back to it and you're like, I'm the one that asked for this. <laughs> Which nothing that Josh did, but that's how, this is the flesh. This is the nature of the flesh if I don't control it. So I got through the first and second one. By the third one, I had a system down and then I really moved. So I complained maybe two or three times in there. And every time, boom, check. Nope. You can't do that, Sean. In fact, the Lord said to me, if you want this seed that you're sowing to profit you, and I'm like, Lord, I'm walking in love with the soffit. <laughs> it's good practice. I can't hurt the soffit's feelings. But what can I do in stepping out of the fruit of the Spirit? Hurt me. So it's a good practice, right? So then I got it done. And by the end of it, I don't... I don't climb a lot of ladders at church anymore or at work, period, because of uh, uh, it's just not necessary. I'm not working construction. Boy, I could feel it, especially in my feet by the time the end of the day was going, because you're standing on those rungs all day, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is why the Lord got me out of this, <laughs> out of construction. It, you feel it in your legs, in your joints, you know, and... Uh, but then I got all the way through, and I kept my attitude. Now, I will tell you this. I kept my attitude. I did not feel giddy about doing it. I'm talking about in my flesh. I didn't. But I did it for the Lord, and I kept myself. That means what? Harvest. It profits me, right? Because I walked in love with the soffits. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I took heed lest I fall. Notice... I don't have to worry about my flesh getting out of control with sexual immorality or anything like that in dealing with the soffits. But I do have to watch my temper. The nature of my flesh to want to complain, to dispute, to I could come up with all these reasons on why it's not fair that I have to do this. And if I do that, I'll do a work for the Lord. But his hand wasn't in it. And I don't profit out of it. Even though, once the new lighting is in and everything, it will profit the church. So there it is again. I can do something functioning and not get a reward because I'm not doing it from the right motivation. Am I bringing a teaching out of the affection of Jesus Christ for the church because I want them to grow? Or am I bringing one out of, I heard about so-and-so's and this person's problem and that person's problem, and I'm going to make sure to get them this week. All motivation, all conditions of my internal systems, which I have to watch. I have to purge those things out of me. You say, how do I do that? You, you recognize the thought, take it captive and go, no, I'm not going to do this out of obligation. I'm going to do this out of serving, hospitality. And your flesh can go, that's not why I'm doing it. You just say, shut up, stupid. You're doing it. And you smile and do it. And people say, well, that just sounds like works. It's not works in the sense of trying to earn. It's works from the sense of I have. And people say, well, I'll just get so sanctified that my flesh will never give me a problem anymore. And we'll set you down in a chair and slap you across the face as hard as we can and say, tell us how you feel. <laughs> and your flesh will rise up 
And you will feel something. Why? Because your flesh is not, gonna, not redeemed. It is not redeemed. If you let your flesh go, it'll eat, drink, play, have sexual immorality. It'll tempt Christ, complain. It'll do everything it possibly can and then come all the way back around and go, but when I die, I want to go to heaven. It'll do it. That's the nature of the flesh. Nature of the flesh is like this. Man, I need to get in shape. So you get in shape. Then you lift weights. Then you start thinking about how great you look. This is the nature of the flesh. Look what I've done. You went from, you know, Lord, I need to do this to doing what you're graced to do, and then you're impressed with yourself so much you forget about God, your flesh. And it becomes about how good I look and how intimidating I can be, or whatever it is, okay? But no temptation, verse 13. Man, this is where we ended last time. And I only got a couple more Sundays. (laughs) No temptation has overtaken you or me except what is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, no temptation. The Lord, and another uh, way that it could be said is, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? Another way to say this is, we are new creations in Christ, and in this new creation was deposited the needed power of God to overcome every temptation that we will face on earth. Every temptation that we will face, he provides a way of escape, which means an exit. It means the act of coming out, or one, one, trans, one, word for the, one uh, uh, definition for this way of escape is, um, uh, let me look at it here, is be, it will become apparent. So in other words, when I'm complaining, what is the way of escape? Count it all joy, my brethren. And that's not brethren, that's just people of God, you know what I mean? I don't... They, they just made them male, but a lot of those words are men or women. Count it all joy. Be ye thankful. Lord, I'm thankful that I have arms and legs to be able to climb the ladder. And people say, that's so simple, though. But it's where some of us are. And here's the thing. If we don't have a dun-da-da-da prophetic word... Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt climb the ladder, take out thy drill and thy hammer, remove the plexiglass, thou shalt lay it on the floor, not crush it, not throw it in anger. Because if thou does, you'll have more work. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? We think, oh, well, this isn't very spiritual. You and I don't know how spiritual it is. It actually decides a portion of whether we are bodies wholly filled and flooded with God himself. It decides it. Amen? So, we'll continue with not complaining, not disputing, People say, I didn't do so well last week. Go ahead and in 1 John 1, 9 yourself. 
get in there and get her taken care of. And then this is a new week. I did 50% better. You tapped 50% of the grace. Let's go for 100. Right? Amen? All right. We're good. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.